Grandstand Cricket. The Cricket World Cup 2019. And he bowls a ball, it's heaved away. It's going out through square. Australia have emphatically won their fifth World Cup by seven wickets. The Australian players rush out onto the field. To celebrate, ABC Grandstand speaks to those who have etched Australia into cricketing history. Klusner hits back past the bowler. There's a mix-up. The protagonist behind Australia's five World Cup victories. Catch. It's come off something, but that's extraordinary. He's Rudy Coates have gave him not out, and Gilchrist is walking. Host Ben Cameron retraces the path to World Cup glory. Drives it With the likes of Steve Waugh, Ricky Ponting, Alan Border, and many more. There are few auras that remain in Australian cricket, but one that does surrounds their presence at the 50-over World Cup. It comes with having won the event five times, something no other nation has done more than twice. Traditional cricketing powerhouses South Africa and England have never triumphed at the tournament. In this Legacy Series, we will take you behind the stories of each of Australia's wins with those who lived them. And it started in 1987, and while it ended in glory, it began a long way from that. I remember arriving in Madras for our first practice, and India were training at the same time, and we were sent to the number two ground, and uh, the number two ground was had cows on it, and uh, <laughs> it was a couple of half 44-gallon drums with our drinks in and, um, and a centre wicket. So uh, that's where we, we had our first training drill, and... It was on that day that Simon O'Donnell said, made a statement to lose patience is to lose the battle. And you'll hear more from Jeff Marsh as we make our way through Legacy. In terms of Australia's on-field campaign in 1987, it started with a nail-biting one-run win, as called by the legendary Henry Blofeld at the time. Menendez Singh, the last man is in. Six were needed from the last over. He scored four. Now 269 for nine. Menendez Singh has four. Kevin Moray at the other end is not out 12. 270 for six in Australia after being put in. Two runs to win and two balls to go. Here's War again, running in from the far end. Past umpire Archer, he's there, he bowls to... He bowled him! Australia won by one run. Uh, Menendez Singh's off stump goes way back towards the wicketkeeper. Australia, they're absolutely jubilant. The Indians can hardly believe it. They are all out for 269. And poor El Moray at the other end bangs his bat on the ground. The Australians come in immensely jubilant. Well, what a game of cricket it's been here in Madras. However, the win that many believe laid the platform for Australia's eventual success may not have eventuated without the protests of Dean Jones, as he told the BBC Stump podcast recently. Well, I I remember facing Menendez Singh, the left-arm orthodox, and I hit one down the ground, and Ravi Shastri was on the boundary, and it looked plain and clear to me. The carry went over his arm in front of our um, team, and it carried the rope, and and Ravi said it was four, and we all complained. I looked at Dickie Bird, and Dickie says, I have to take the word of the field or something. So I said, come on, Dickie, you were carried. And Dickie says, I have to take the, the word of the fielder. So anyway, we continued on. He gave it four, and I got out of, not too long after, I think, and walked off the ground, and I ran into the, um, the match referee, which was Hanif Muhammad, who, of course, we all know, made 499 and three quarters in a first-class game. And I complained. And he said, we'll talk about the end of the match, or end of the innings. And we, I went and spoke to Dickie Bird. And 
Dickie Bird, we walked into their dressing room and asked Ravi Shastri, he said, now, Ravi, we're going to go down to the OB van to see if it was a four or a six. Have you got your last You got your last chance? And Ravi said, I'll let him have it for six. So they changed the score and we went to 270. Uh-huh. And that's basically how, the, how it changed around. I don't think that's happened before in any international cricket match and, and happened here in the first World Cup. Australian captain Alan Border later reflecting about the significance of those two runs gained to Australia's overall campaign. So we got the two runs back. Our score moved on to 270. And uh, you wouldn't believe it, but India in a, in a run chase made 269. So you sort of think, you look at that. Standing up to India pays dividends well, in the first just, part of that tour. Yeah, but just the karma of, um, mm. you know, if our score is 268, remains 268, we lose. Do we go on and win the World Cup from there? We, we get those two runs. We win by one run in the first game of the tournament. And the momentum and self-belief and confidence that gave us was just extraordinary. We just went on to, you know, play a really good tournament and, uh, you know, fantastic game against England in the final. Jeff Marsh reflecting on the build-up of the young group leading into the 1987 tournament. It was a real build-up. Uh, I think uh, when Bobby Simpson took over as coach of Australia, um, he really moulded a side uh, right from the start that he believed were going to be good cricketers and a good team man. And um, the two years leading up to that with Simo, we just really gelled and we went to that World Cup. We, we were uh, no doubt underdogs of a very young side, as you said. AB was our, our leader and very much our senior player, but the rest of us were all about the same age. And yeah, we went there uh, really confident. I mean, I remember arriving in Madras for our um, first practice and India were training at the same time and they uh, they were out on the um, the, gra- the beautiful ground in Madras on the green grass and uh, we were sent to the number two ground and uh, the number two ground was had cows on it and uh, <laughs> it was a couple of half 44 gallon drums um, with our drinks in and, and a centre wicket so uh, that's where we, we had our first uh, training drill and it was on that day that Simon O'Donnell said um, uh, made a statement to lose patience is to lose the battle and uh, that we held that right through the 87 World Cup and uh, we kept going back to that uh, first training session uh, for the whole uh, tournament. Yeah, we saw Simon O'Donnell saw it on a sign from the airport into the hotel in Mumbai and uh, the the very first training session we had, he quoted that and uh, it stayed with us for the whole tournament. ABC Grandstand's Jim Maxwell remembers watching the change that Bob Simpson and Captain Alan Border brought to Australian cricket. Well, Bob Simpson brought a, a certain amount of rigour uh, to the preparation of a team that hadn't been there before. Alan Border was a, a shy fellow. He could bat. He wasn't keen on fronting the media and having to talk about everything that was going on. So he pushed that across to Bob Simpson and uh, he managed to handle it pretty well. Uh, Simpson had been brought up under his own steam and around a lot of people who who did play with an extraordinary dedication to preparing themselves for the battle. And that's what he brought to the team. And and he did it in uh, a very demonstrative way because uh, if you ever turned up before the day's play, and, and you know, this, this was new stuff in world cricket, you would see him out there hitting balls to the players. It was clearly evident that Australia's preparation wasn't just a sideshow, it was part of the main show going into a day's play. And um, maybe that was a a point he was trying to make to the opposition. I think um, what Simpson brought to the side perhaps has been uh, underestimated on reflection, 
because he had as much to do with Australia's resurgence through that period. The 1987 World Cup and then the 1989 Ashes were proof of that. It was a complete transformation in the way Australia organised their cricket and with some new faces coming on board and a growing confidence with that group, uh, they were able to take on almost everyone except still at that stage the West Indies. Dean Jones speaking to Simpson's coaching style and how it even extended to mind games with the other nations. It was interesting, Alison, that we lost our last five games before that match. And I, I think um, one day international games, and I think it comes down to good coaching, great captaincy, and probably good selection as well. What's your game plan, and how are you going to go about it? And and of course, Bob Simpson had to sell that game plan to us, the players. And he came up with all these stats, which was unheard of back then by coaches bringing this stuff up. And uh, he said, we're the best fielding unit, so pride yourself on that. And we've got to run harder between the wickets, which we're good with that with Booney and Jeff Marsh made a brilliant 100 in that match you're talking about um, in Madras. And that's just basically, we started to believe. There was one particular match, if I can, can say, we went on to play against New Zealand and we beat them at indoor. And we knew that they were going to be playing England next. And what we did was that we got up at 6.30 in the morning because both teams in the same hotel. And we practised outside their, outside their bedrooms. And we ran around, did all this fielding and unbelievable exercises and sprints and push-ups and short catching. When they hopped on the bus, they've gone, how? How fit are these Aussies? They're really keen. And they told the English. So we started to spread the word that we were you know, on, the, on the attack to try, to try to win this World Cup. So there's lots of funny games going on in between matches. The sentiment echoed by Jeff Marsh. You know, if there was a patch of green grass you know, uh, at the hotel we're staying at, he'd have us out there, you know, training and catching and while other teams were watching us. I mean, that's the psychological advantage that he wanted us to have. The professionalism exhibited by the Australian team throughout the 1987 World Cup, even extending to a drinking ban in between fixtures. Well, when you, you know, if you think about this era, you know, it's no big deal. But back in those days, I mean, it was very much, uh, you know, have a beer uh, after every opportunity, you know, particularly of an evening, you have a few beers. Uh, mm-hmm. It was just part of the culture of the time. So to sort of have these um, bands, you know, just trying to get those little percentage points of improvement. Um, Your idea? Uh, not necessarily, no. no. Um, <laughs> Where did it come from? Yeah, I think the coach, Simo, you know, he just reckoned that, um, you know, if we're going to leave no stone unturned, you know, we, we look at, um, you know, what we do off the field as well as on the field and... Just the thought that, OK, if we're going to, going to give this uh, competition a real shake, let's do just, you know, do the extra little hard yards. When the pressure's been on, Australia have responded. Hats off to Alan Border. He's captained them magnificently. I think he's more relaxed in his job now than at any time. They've been a wonderfully happy side, and they've all pulled together, and they are reaping a rich reward. And one, to be absolutely fair, I don't think any side deserves this victory more than they. Bob Simpson's desire to find the margins of performance extending to what were revolutionary ideas about one-day cricket back in 1987. Yeah, the one-day game was, you know, viewed as, as fun. You know, it was just a bit of a sideline to, you know, the real fair, which was test cricket. Um, and we didn't really, you know, think a lot about tactics. You know, we just, we just all went out there and played, had a bit of fun and, 
individuals would play well um, or not so well and you'd have a result but it wasn't the be all and end all and I think as you as the games become more and more professionalised it's on television inevitably as coaches come into the fray they start thinking about well how can I find those little percentage points so that uh, we win more games than we lose and so all those things come into it um, i.e. the slower ball I mean Stephen Warren O'Donnell bowled this fantastic delivery out of the back of the hand and it hadn't been seen before. There might have been the odd, um, like, faster off-spinner bowl, but something out of the back of the hand where you can disguise it just a little better. Yeah, it just revolutionised the game from that perspective. Here is War again now, running into the face of the last ball. Here he bowls it over pitched again. It was a lovely one. The face squirted it away to backward point. Mayfield in a dot ball, a beautiful one, right in the block hole. Well, um, the people have been given a medal for less than that. It was a marvellous piece of bowling by War. A Boone comes over and congratulates him. Marsh says something, and um, he's, a, he's a marvellous, intelligent cricketer. I think he's um, grew up there in the uh, Bankstown Club in Sydney, and uh, he's been a marvellous cricketer for a very long time. And uh, he seems to have a very old head on very young shoulders, Stephen Ward. Uh, look, we did it individually. I mean, I, I did it mucking around in, in the nets before a shield game in Perth, and I just uh, was trying a different, couple of different grips, and I. Ran in and sort of bowled this one and sort of flipped my wrist um, around the opposite way and delivered the ball out of the back of the hand to Greg Matthews. And he was batting. He said, wow, I did not pick that. That's an absolute winner. That's going to get you a lot of wickets. And I thought, OK, I'll keep practising that. And that was only probably six months before the tournament. So I was practising the ball out of the back of the hand where Simon O'Donnell had another slow ball, but his was more out of the side of the hand. And I guess we're at the forefront that both of us used it extensively. Not many other sides with really bowling slow balls or, or ones out of the back of the hand or, or the side of the hand, they're more off-spinners. And um, it was a bit of a weapon for us because we could sort of take a lot of wickets, we could change things up and, and catch opposition teams by surprise. You know, for me, it was a real confidence in my armoury that I could bowl a decent pace and then all of a sudden I could pull back and bowl the slow balls and they wouldn't pick it. So it was something we knew we had that other teams didn't have and it, it gave us that extra 1% or 2% that that made a big difference under pressure. Here is War, bowls out of Foster, Foster Drive. Well bowled. And it's in the block hole again. Well bowled indeed. Well, to my, for my money, Steve War deserves the Man of the Match award for this last spell. It's a marvellous piece of bowling. At the end of with one over to go, England 237 for six, but eight, needing 17 runs to win. Yes, you couldn't, you couldn't ever see two better overs than that at the end of the inning, so it's a marvellous exhibition of bowling. I think one of the great signs of a, of a very, very good cricketer is that they get better the more tough the, the going gets. And the, uh, they rise to the occasion, and uh, the Australian cricketers here rise to the occasion, and none more so than Stephen War there with those two overs at a critical stage of a game that is now, and those overs have turned the game towards his team and uh, that's the purpose of bowling them and that's a great tribute to him and to the Australians. War's bowling at the death of feature throughout the tournament along with that of Craig McDermott and Simon O'Donnell. Jeff Marsh full of admiration for a young war and Billy the Kid McDermott. But with just our belief that we could bowl them out, I mean, when people like Steve War come to you and say, give me the ball, give me the ball in the last 10 overs or the last five overs, you know you've got someone there that can just stand up under pressure. Billy was a great bowler. Uh, and uh, he bowled superbly. But again, it was a pressure that we created out in the middle uh, just through our fielding and our tight bowling. However, for all of the wickets of War, McDermott and O'Donnell, it was Captain Alan Border who took arguably the biggest wicket of the final when he removed Mike Gatting. Alan Border decided to try and get himself at least one extra option by coming under bowl himself. Straight away, Mike Gutting trying to play the reverse swing shot. 
that's the first time he's made a mistake on this tour when he's played it. So what a breakthrough for Alan Border. The attempted reverse sweep in 1987, long before the advent of T20 cricket and modern-day stroke-making, leaving many aghast. Yeah, I suppose they're, they're, they're sort of one of those oddities, you know, where in that particular uh, World Cup final, uh, Mike Gatting was playing particularly well. He'd, he'd made uh, you know, a bit of a swashbuckling 50 and he was uh, giving it to our bowlers at the time. I think we'd played Tim May as our spinner and uh, he was struggling a little bit. So, you know, I'm looking around for options and all of a sudden you know, the, the finger was pointed at me. You better have a bowl skipper. So I thought, oh, no. Anyway, well, two so, famous yeah. moments in his career where he's undone by Australian spinners. Um, yours yeah. is a little different compared to, to Warney's to delivery. Warnies, yeah. yeah, well, it's, I, I give it to Gat every time I see him. When he says, <laughs> you bloody Australians, you know, I, I bloody made a lot of runs, but I got, made, got out twice to sort of odd, you know, circumstances. One trying to with a reverse sweep against me in the in the final of the World Cup and one was has there been a better ball bowled ever in cricket uh, that's the you know eternal argument and it was poor old Gat both times so he, he cops heaps from Aussies every time we see him. Well I think everyone would have thought it was pretty audacious even if he got away with it but the fact that he didn't um, made it look like a, a ham-fisted attempt to play a, a ball that could have been played um, in another way and you know in in that time uh, playing uh, with that kind of uh, innovation, playing those exotic strokes uh, wasn't yet part of the game as it has become today through the agency of T20, I suppose, to a large extent. But it's about the game uh, when you're batting, trying to find some gaps. And Mike Gatting obviously thought it uh, was going to be a pretty effective method if it came off. I'm sure he'd practised the shot a few times, but uh, it didn't, didn't work for him. So uh, that's why it sort of stood out, I guess, uh, in terms of the, the result. Uh, the fact that um, the, the boldness of such an, a, an attempt to manoeuvre the ball to the boundary um, didn't work, didn't pay off. And, and Australia got a very big wicket. And here is McDermott in, both Rembrandt, it swings out of way to mid-wicket, they go for one. He's going to be run out, I'm sure, yes he is, he's run out. A good bit of fielding by Boone, threw back to McDermott, and Embryo was nowhere. And so another wicket has gone. England 220 for seven. Australia's hard work on their fielding paying dividends at the pointy end of the tournament with two runouts in the final against England and a critical one in the semi to remove Pakistan's opener, Ramiz Raja, for just one. We always believed in, in that game there, if you, uh, the, our fielding in that game was outstanding. Uh, and that's what we really prided ourselves on. We, we knew we were the best fielding side in the competition and if we could get a score on the board, we believe with the with the tight bowling, but the opportunities we created in the field that uh, we were always a chance. And of course, in winning that game against New Zealand, also just it added the the belief uh, when you get on that team bus. And to win those games are such important games to win because of momentum. You want momentum to build as the tournament goes through, and um, that certainly winning the first one and the and the next one by three runs was was really big in that area. One of the unsung heroes of the 1987 triumph was Jeff Marsh. He scored 428 runs at an average of 61 with two centuries as he formed a formidable opening partnership with David Boone that repeatedly laid the foundation for Australian wins. However, Imran Khan hit him in the wrist during the semi-final 
But how close was he to missing the decider against England? No chance. I didn't tell anyone. Only Errol all got myself knew. So it was only a little a little, little crack in there. But, uh, you know, you don't tell anyone. I never told anyone about any injuries because it's so competitive for spots in the side. And if you went out, there was a chance that um, you may never get back. I mean, you, you know, Michael Valletta was playing, but he was an opening batsman and he was batting down the list. But, um, you know, in those days, you, you just didn't give anyone a, a sucker and even break, you know, because it was just uh, such a hard team to my goodness me, here comes McDermott, the last 40 bowls, Foster swings it away, it's going for four, I think the backward point, no will the letter stop it, he stops it, they get two, that is the end, 246 for eight, Australia have won by seven runs, they jump into each other's arms, they whip up the bales, the stumps as souvenirs, the press photographers, the television people run onto the ground, the Australian reserve fielders, the ones who weren't playing, they run out to congratulate their fellows. The Australian manager, Alan Compton in a green blazer, Bobby Simpson is there, and they're all hugging each other, and well they might. Australia have won the 1987 World Cup final in Calcutta. Henry Blofeld calling the closing stages of the decider. To finish off, we'll let Steve Waugh and Alan Border have the final say on Australia's first World Cup triumph. Look, it's still one of my favourite tours because we, we were certainly not a great side going into that World Cup in 87. We were the rank outsiders, in fact, and our form in the previous 12 months was poor in one-day cricket. So, But it was one of those turning points in Australian cricket where Bob Simpson was uh, the coach, um, Alan Border, the captain. Uh, we had a physio, Errol Orcott. Uh, all of a sudden, we, we decided to th- do things a bit more differently, more professional. We trained harder than any of their team. We sort of looked at our diets. Um, it was just more focus on preparation. And, um, you know, it was in scorching 40-degree heat that we were training for three and four hours. Other teams were watching us thinking, these guys are crazy. But it, it really gave us a reservoir of mental toughness that we used later on in that tournament. And once we won the first game, as you say, against India at Chennai, I bowled the last over. We won by a run. Again, we had that sort of feeling that maybe here is a chance to do something special for Australia. And this is the coming together of a team that was really struggling. And we just kept getting more and more momentum. We won two or three games in the last over. I played, I guess, a big part in uh, in some of those victories with my bowling and also the semi-final where I hit 17 off the last over against Pakistan. So we somehow found a way to win the close games. And it was because we were a tight-knit group. It was us against the rest of the world and we wanted to prove something on that trip. The start of some good times for Australian crew. And he bowls a ball that's heaved away. It's going out through square. Australia have emphatically won their fifth World Cup. That's episode one of Legacy as we recount Australia's World Cup victories. If you want to catch up on more iconic stories of Australia's World Cup success, check out Grandstand Sports Special's podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts.